please remain seated. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then John explains, Jewish people and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. This woman, who as often happens in the Bible, doesn't get a name. All we know is the basic region where she comes from. She's heading out to a well to get some water. As she's heading out, some dude is standing there by the well, and now she has to interact with him. And oh, by the way, he happens to be a, a Jewish man. Now, I don't know in that region how people told, could tell each other apart, coming from different tribes, different communities. I don't know if it's the way that Jesus wore his robes, or he has a ribbon, or it's his haircut, whatever it is. She can somehow tell that he is a Jewish man, and that is enough for her to be skeptical. Which is what we find in that, that particular verse that John gives to us. That's her, basically her first response to him. What do you want of me? Her skepticism of Jesus, who she's never met, is absolutely justified. Because what we don't know, and so we'll dig a little bit, just a tiny bit of history. Samaritan people and Jewish people in that region, they shared ethnic heritage. They all come, and she alludes to this, they come from Jacob. Jacob had the 12 sons. Well, some of those 12 sons lived in the region that is now called Samaria. So they all come from a very shared background. They come from a, a religious background, and they all worship the same God. It just happens that the Samaritan people, because they live in a different region, and because for various different things that happened throughout history that archaeologists can tell you more about, they became their own group. They became their own community. They became their own nation. To the north of Samaria is the region called Galilee. We know that because of the guy named Jesus. The region south is kind of sort of known as Judea. That's vaguely where, where Jerusalem is, where the temple is. So we have Galilee to the north, we have Judea to the south, and in the middle, vaguely, is Samaria. That's important for us to know because we know that Israelites and Samaritans didn't play well together for generations. In fact, at a point that a king who was living down in Jerusalem decided that he was done dealing with the Samaritans and their border wars and their insurrections and their just plain obnoxiousness from his standpoint, and he sent an army up into Samaria and destroyed their temple on a mountain called Gerizim. So this well where Jesus is hanging out, this well that speaks of the ancestral heritage that they share, that speaks of a faith in God that they share, it also, by the way, sits in the shadow of a mountain that represents all of the destruction and devastation that this Samaritan woman's family and ancestors have endured. That destruction of the temple happened probably 250, 300 years before Jesus even shows up at that well. But that's how stories are carried. You and I know people who feel generally skeptical about religion, who feel skeptical of the institutional church, which you and I represent. We gather in spaces like this, and in this particular place, we call ourselves Christian, and we call ourselves Lutheran, and so we have a particular label, and we have a particular doctrine, and a particular way of walking in the world. But we know that outside of these walls, that doesn't really matter. Our families, our coworkers, our classmates, people who we engage with on a daily basis, are generally skeptical of Christianity. Or maybe just generally skeptical, and rightly so, of Christians. So this Samaritan woman gets to be a reflection for us of how we walk in the world and how we reflect our faith and hope that we live our faith 
fully as a follower of Jesus out in the world, but knowing that we encounter people all the time, some of them may even live in our family, some of them may even live in our homes, who are skeptical of Christianity for a variety of different reasons, and some of those reasons are rooted in trauma and harm. This Samaritan woman is absolutely justified in being skeptical of Jesus. Maybe nothing in her particular life, but it is an ancestral story of people who Jesus represents coming into her homeland and destroying the place where she worships God. And now here comes this guy who is ambling through Samaria. And by the way, historians have apparently reported that Israelites from Galilee and Israelites from Jerusalem or the Judean area never went to Samaria. In fact, they would go all the way east, cross the Jordan River, wander into the wilderness, go all the way down, cross the Jordan River, and then come back west over to Jerusalem just to avoid interacting with Samaritans. Jesus walks right in, and he hangs out at a well, and he begins talking to the Samaritan woman, who unfortunately has no name, and one of the cool things about the Samaritan woman is that she can go toe-to-toe with Jesus. She keeps up with him with intellect and everything that he says. She banters and she parries and she has brilliant observations. And this conversation that Jesus shares with her leads to some of the language about baptismal water and baptismal faith that you and I use today in our worship. It's a remarkable conversation. Now we could argue she didn't need to be there, but let's face it, she needs to be at that well because she needs water for her family or herself or who knows and who cares, but she needs that water. So now she's got to interact with this guy who starts talking to her, who happens to be Jesus, who also happens to be Jewish, who happens to represent everything that she is skeptical of. Now in the course of this conversation, Jesus makes a turn, by the way, Don't make the same turn that Jesus makes. This is awkward. It's kind of borderline offensive. It's not going to work. So don't do it. I don't know how Jesus gets away with it. But in the the course of this conversation, Jesus makes a turn where he says to the Samaritan woman, go get your husband. Now, the Samaritan woman immediately responds by saying, well, I don't have a husband. I've read different translations who have said how she just responds by saying, I don't need a husband. Pretty good argument. We could, we could probably fairly assume if she was skeptical before, she's still now, it's not getting any better. But then Jesus responds by saying, I know, you've had five husbands and, and now you're living with someone who's not your husband. Some of us in this space, some of us who share the identity of Christian, we may read that part, we may hear that part of her identity, of her experiences in life, and we might start formulating well, let's just call them judgments. We're beginning to wonder in the back of our minds, five husbands, that's weird. We're thinking to ourselves, she's living with somebody who's not her husband. That doesn't seem right. We start wondering to ourselves, well, what kind of judgments has she made? How does she walk in the world? What is she like? What's her, what's her personality? What other things has she done that might reflect some of her brokenness, dare we say? And when we start going down those little rabbit holes, when we are interacting with a Samaritan woman who's a character in the Bible, that reminds us that we do the same thing with our neighbors. This might be part of the touch point for us in this particular reading this morning. When we walk in the world, when we're hopefully following Jesus and we're interacting with our neighbors, inevitably we will encounter 
God's people, our people, our neighbors, our loved ones, our co-workers, our classmates, our family. And we will find reasons in the back of our mind that it is so subtle and it's so obnoxious we can't even stop it from flowing from the back to the front of our mind. And we begin wondering, what's wrong with them? How do they get themselves in this situation? Why can't they afford to live where they need to live? Why can't they keep their job? Why can't they have a few less tattoos? Why can't they just stop coloring their hair? Why can't they love like we are all supposed to love? We all have these judgments and barriers and definitions and they creep from the back to the front of our minds and before we even realize it, we begin to reflect it. And we are reminded again through our own interactions why our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates are justified in their skepticism of the institutional church. Justified by a cultural assumption that coming into this space is a risk. Whether it's because we see people who label themselves as Christian who show up on our screens who are telling us how we are supposed to live and how we are supposed to love and how we are supposed to walk in the world, or it's something much more subtle than that and it flows through us and we don't even see it or hear it. This woman, Jesus identifies as having five husbands and now living with someone who is not her husband. In our thoughts, we might start wondering about her. We start thinking about the incident. Jesus only sees the individual. Because note Jesus' response. In that, he has no response. Jesus doesn't care. Now, it's not a turn in evangelism that I would suggest any of us make, but what Jesus is doing is he's helping the Samaritan woman to realize that he sees her. Not her incidents, not her past, not whatever might be on her resume. Jesus sees her. And Jesus loves her. And Jesus begins to tell her not just about living water and odd theological things that don't make much sense. Now he's starting to talk about her relationship with God and how God still loves her and God still dwells with her and God still hears her and responds to her. You and I know about grace. We know about forgiveness. We know the depths of God's love in our lives. It's why we gather here even on a Sunday morning when it's snowed a few inches and our clocks are off. We're waiting to hear good news again. We're waiting to remember again how deeply God loves us, how much grace is poured over our lives before we even ask. How Jesus knows everything in our resume and Jesus doesn't care that we are loved. And Christ continues to come for us and wash us in renewing waters and feed us around this table and then send us out. And all this season of Lent, we are called to follow Jesus out into the world. And in, through this particular gospel, we are being invited to walk out into the world and to recognize the lines and the barriers that we draw, that the church draws in God's name. And through the cross to step over those step over those boundaries and step over those barriers, those lines, even the ones we draw, to remember through Christ's love for us that we are called on to love our neighbors, to see our neighbors, to speak their name, to speak God's love, to give this forgiveness and grace and life, to give it away. Because God's grace is flowing across creation. We read that in every story, every week. God's grace appears where we dwell and where we 
exist. So you and I, friends, we're being sent out to be a reflection of this grace. So that our neighbors in the midst of justifiable, absolutely right skepticism for houses like this, that we can speak God's name and we can reflect God's grace. Amen.